leave a message after the tone. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Working Vacation Podcast. I go by the name of Marvin Light. I go by Hassan Shazam. It's your boy, Mo. And we want to give a quick shout out to our amazing sponsor, Red Owl Boxing. Red Owl Boxing is a fully equipped, state-of-the-art boxing academy located right here in the heart of Toronto. It's an incredible boxing facility with boxing classes for all ages. If you're looking to get fit, stay healthy, or build some awesome self-defense skills, Red Owl Boxing is the place to be. They are led by the best boxing and fitness instructors in Canada, located in the heart of Scarborough, with classes that range from beginner level to advanced. Red Owl Boxing offers something for everyone. Formulated with the perfect combination of boxing, strength, and cardio conditioning intervals designed to make you look good, feel good, and leave with more than just a great sweat. Check them out today on Instagram at Red Owl Boxing to discover your inner champion. Let's get ready to rumble! Yo, Madam, let me introduce you guys to my dog, uh, Ray, Ray, <laughs> Mohammed, and Hassan. How you doing, man? What's going nice on, to meet you, man. Good to meet you guys. So to kick off the first... Uh topic that we're going to kind of go over is uh we obviously saw the Deontay Wilder and Fury fight that that happened a couple weeks ago or a week ago I should say uh obviously Tyson Fury won Deontay Wilder lost uh the conversation that I really want to spark with you guys is just the effect of losing these celebrity boxing matches or these big hyped up matches where you have maybe like a black and a white opponent and there's a lot of like cultural and racial implications kind of like what we saw with the McGregor and Mayweather fight uh, same thing with Nate Robinson when he fought uh, uh, Jake Paul. So the point that I was trying to get at is, uh, would you guys ever do one of these? And then also, what are your thoughts on how, how this can be received later on in your career or, or, or maybe a stain that might come from losing these type of fights? And just the reaction that you see from certain groups when someone loses, why do you think that's the case? Like, why do you think Nate Robinson got so much flack when he lost versus when even when, like, Fury lost to Deontay that time? You didn't see as much pushback in the public or as much vitriol. So that's kind of the question that I want to pose to you guys. So I'll pass it along to one of you guys to start off. No, hold on, hold on, hold on. You said Fury got a lot of flack. Let's, let's, you said, you no, said, no, 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 no. He said, said that he didn't get as much flack. No, 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 no. Wilder, he, he said Fury, my bad, my bad. Tyson Fury never got flack. I mean, but he said Wilder, bad, Wilder got bad. a lot of flack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Wilder situation compared to like Nate Robinson is, is completely different, bro. Um, mm-hmm. To be honest with you, Wilder actually got a lot of respect after that fight. The only thing he never did was, at the end yeah. of it, he's just like, yo, bro, I just don't rock yeah. with you, period. But yeah. he actually got a lot of respect from, like, the boxing community. But Nate Robinson, uh, yeah, bro, of course you're going to get roasted, bro. The man came in like he did not know how to fight. The man was trying to wrestle the man <laughs> in a boxing match, bro. And, <laughs> bro, bro, that was a sad day for all NBA players because this guy's actually an athlete. And, and the thing is, yo, Boxing is a real skill set. People don't realize it takes a long time to develop that. Like it's no, 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 no. But but, but this is the point that I was making. Up. I, I was saying like I think there's a racial component because he's a black boxer fighting a white box. Like we've seen this in the history of boxing. I said, you know what I'm talking about. Like they use this whole race thing to like Pipe promote these fights. Like Mayweather and 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 uh, and, and McGregor. Come on, bro. We, we the way they were trolling, they were playing off the fact that this is a black guy fighting a white guy. So the point that I was making is like, when you're the black athlete, if you're the one that ends up losing, there's like a sense of shame almost. You get what I'm saying? And I agree with you. I think the Nate Robinson one, it's worse because like he lost in embarrassing fashion, and then he hyped up the fight. He made it like a whole. Uh, yeah, he he kind of like fueled it. He was under. He was under. He was clearly he was underweight compared to the person that he was facing off with, right? He was, he's, he's shorter, visibly shorter. So, like, he was coming in with, like, specific disadvantages when he walked into the ring. 
and getting knocked out the way he did after hyping the fight up the way he did, yeah, he kind of he fueled a lot of the a lot of that a lot of that backlash, I would say. Yeah, but yeah. he needed to do that for the hype of the fight. But the, the people people didn't roast him because he was talking trash. Yo, it, it doesn't matter if you're white, you're black. If you're a if you're a person known for talking smack, people want to see you get knocked out. That's just a fact. You no, know what I'm saying? What I'm saying is, bro, he's not the typical villain. He's not like he's not like a Mayweather. He's not even like a Jake Paul, where like he goes out of his way to antagonize people. I think in that particular fight, the reason people were laughing was because the storyline that Nate was creating is like, look at this like young TikToker, white suburban guy. And I'm like, this, I'm like this guy from the streets type thing. Raw athlete. Like, I'm going to crush yeah, this guy. exactly. Like, even just like, I'm a raw athlete type thing. So I think, I think that kind of played into it a little bit. And, and, and the overall point that I'm just trying to make is like, I feel like in these scenarios, if you're the black athlete and you lose, there's no benefit to it. Because I don't think this helped Nate's career in any way. Like, I don't know if the money was worth it. But in my opinion, I think like, the more, we're going to see a lot more of these celebrity boxing matches. And I think, especially for like, athletes rappers certain industries i don't know if it's a positive bro like i don't know if it's a good thing because if you lose this fight i think it takes a lot of luster away from you you know what i mean like imagine imagine michael jordan in his prime did one of these and lost yeah but fighting has always when has fighting never been politicized you could have looked at what's it called um no, when, I don't McGregor, know. when mcgregor when mcgregor fought what's his name uh uh russia from russia um Khabib. we've never seen we've never seen we've never seen this many like celebrity or non-athlete fights or mixed fights before this, I think, used, to be, this mm-hmm. used to be like a sideshow like uh, usually they were staged you know what i mean this is the first time we're seeing this on like a more frequent basis well yeah that's like even the strategy like the paul brothers have kind of like used they they i feel like they scope out like their targets they make sure who they're going at and i'm not gonna lie like they they have put in like like a significant amount of effort as far as like training and stuff but you're facing off with a guy who's like, if you're not even in the same weight class, if the person's under you in a weight class and, and they're shorter that's than a, you, right that's now, a like huge difference. They're coming in with like, they might as well have both hands tied behind their back in that case. That's even why um, Wilder would get even more respect, bro. That man is like 50, yo, bro, Fury's like 50 pounds heavier than the man. Bro, imagine 50 pounds just weighing on you over a fight, bro. That is very fatiguing, bro. You know what I'm saying? Nate Robinson, I, I don't think he get a, to be honest, Mohammed, like, I didn't think he got as much flack because it was like a black versus white thing. He got as much flack because, bro, the man, it was embarrassing. The man was trying to tackle him, wrestle and he, him, and sprint out. No, no boxing at all. He did not box, no, no, bro. It was terrible. Look, it looked like he did not even practice. It was, it was really embarrassing. <laughs> On the racial part, no, no. Didn't, didn't Don Boxing start out like in a, in a pretty, um, like, black versus white kind of um, yeah, example? Exactly. Like, no, I, I think so. I believe so. Yeah, because I mean, like that was a big thing even when Mike Tyson started to enter the ring and he was just crushing dudes, right? Like it, it kind of was like a black versus white type of thing. So, um, I mean, that there's always going to be that media lens where. Um, yeah, Jack Johnson. So I don't know if you guys heard. Am I about to cut you off? But Jack Johnson, no, go ahead. Is who you're referring to, he's like the older black fighter that he he started winning a lot, making a lot of money, like dating white women, driving nice cars, and like. Well, I was knocking you out and slamming your thing, bro. That's disrespect. <laughs> No, I'm telling you, bro. So, so Ray is right. I'm like, my bad to cut you off, Ray. But yeah, I was just using him as an example. You were right. Like, a lot of his fights, that's how they would market it. Because, like, there's a lot of racial tension in the U.S., whether we realize it or not. So, like, mm-hmm. they want to see these two groups fight. You know what I mean? I just think that component of it and him losing, I think, like... Like, like feel it even know. more type of thing. Yeah, like, for the backlash even more. And ironically, it was the black community, bro. That's how it is. Like, when he lost, like, bro, mans are not having it with, with, with Nate Robinson. I saw a lot of people turn their back on that guy. People bet money on him and stuff. So, 
don't know. But you cannot he... compare Nate Robinson to the Fury. Okay, so look, uh, Fury no, Wilder you. You fight. Made a good point. You made a good point. That's yeah, yeah. Wilder, yeah. Wilder, those, Wilder those things you can't bad. really compare because he's really from that that yeah, yeah, he's really from that field. And then also, I think this is just a consequence of like how much more of a spectacle like boxing has turned into as opposed to like about the actual sport like with the way the paul brothers have used it mm. um the way uh mayweather and, and mcgregor's fight was promoted most of the time both parties are in on the big cash grab they're in on the the big promotion the fight mm. isn't exactly you know up to the standards of what lovers of the sport would like say you know back in their heyday it used to be up to right even when it comes to like first it could be ben mcgregor but that that fight was highly politicized, bro. It was like, because he was getting, McGregor was getting at a lot of different things. It, was, oh, it yeah. felt like that's Muslims versus non. That's part of yeah. the marketing. Fam. That's part of the marketing. But that's the point right. that I'm saying, it's not just a racial component. It's always, your country always gets behind the fighter. You see it with Spanish fighters. You see it with a Russian fighter. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it, once it, it becomes national. You know what's deep when it's ethnic, fam. Like, oh, of course it's deeper. It's in dude, fam, there were American, there were white American people that were cheering for McGregor to beat Mayweather. Yeah, that's because yeah, yeah. also Mayweather is known. Mayweather is known for winning and talking the most trash, bro. He's so was McGregor. No, Mag- no, but no McGregor took that. that McGregor that, took that blueprint from Mayweather, fam. He took that. I get it. No, McGregor I, got that blueprint. That's when he gave. That's when he became popping. When he took that. My blueprint. point is they do this. Fam, this is my point. This is what I'm saying. The country stuff is is usually it goes out the window. McGregor does the exact same stuff. They're both arrogant. Right? Where did he get that from? He got that from Mayweather. But the point was. The same way people wanted to see Mayweather fail, Mohammed, is the same way people wanted to see McGregor fail when he started taking that blueprint. And he's a white guy. The the point that I'm saying to you is, is I'm not saying that it was like all, all, every single fan that was watching that fight was doing it from a racially inclined perspective. The point that I'm saying is the reason you saw that certain type of marketing, same thing that you saw with Khabib, is because Mm. you had another example of like America versus the Middle East, uh, Christians versus Muslims. Like, mm-hmm. you get what I'm saying, right? Mm-hmm. The UK, United Kingdom versus... Uh, America. Uh, the USSR, right? Because Khabib is Russian. Yeah, Khabib is Russian, yeah. Khabib is Russian. So you see what I'm saying? Like, there's all these layers to it. So that's why I said, like, where I think boxing is going, I think it's or just these combat sports. It's going to become more politicized. Like, more become, sensationalized, more politicized. More. It's going to turn into what um, the WWE is. Damn. But it's going to be real. Like, it's going to be real. That's where I think it's headed. So that's why I thought this conversation was interesting because the Paul brothers are making a killing off that. That's yeah, feed they're feeding that. into it. They're feeding into it. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's smart business-wise, but the thing is, that's why I like the Wilder versus um, Fury fight because they the brought back fan. the love for actual boxing because obviously... Yeah, the casual fan, the casual fan, no offense. And, and, and I, I want to let Ray chime in as well, too, I think because I think he can add something to this. I'm one of those. Um, casual. Yeah, the casual fan, right? Like, Ray, you, you tell him. Yeah, I mean, like, so so I watched the highlights of, of the um, the Wilder versus Fury fight. And, like, honestly, I take out all the commentary. I almost, like, you know, pause all the, the sound and everything. Like, mute all the sound because I, I like to experience the sport. I like to watch these, these he- these, like, these giants, right? These, these great skilled like athletes go at it in the ring um so that's that's where i come from um but i know as soon as i turn off the tv and i hear all the stuff that that comes after or even the stuff that came before um like today it's just it's polarized it's crazy politicized even if these men in the ring don't don't like want to hear any of that they're not even about any of that it's like 
they're taking anything they can and just throwing it to market it or see what sticks to people and try to get these these casuals like me to come in and watch these things based on some you know emotional decisions so um like i totally get where i'm yeah, I totally where you're getting you're coming from, Mohammed, where where you're saying like like everything, man, everything is becoming politicized now. And it, it comes down to where these these um these athletes, they spend, you know, hundreds of hours, like probably a week, um, you know, on their craft, and then they're forced to come in and, and speak about like policy. And it's like, like, why would you even ask these people about these kinds of things? Or, or why are you even putting these kinds of uh, like this 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 light spotlight on people like that? I, I don't agree with it personally. I think you're a little bit right about how the marketing goes with that. And this is going to segue into our next topic. The Kyrie, um, please. We got to go right into yeah, the Kyrie. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, before I segue into it, just to cap off what he was saying and go into the Kyrie, he's right. The casual person or the casual fan, they don't care about who Wilder Fury is. They don't care about their records. They want a storyline. The average person would much rather watch Logan Paul fight some, like, random rapper or or some or some NASCAR driver. You know what I mean? For or the drama. That, that's what sells. Yeah, exactly for the drama. So, but also, yo, remember, Mehmet, when I told you about Stephen A, that's what that's why he gets paid the big bucks, bro, because he's an entertainer and he's just selling to the casual fan. He's not an analyst; he's more of an entertainer. This is the thing that kind of worries me, um, and how like how how impactful media is to uh, a narrative, right? And how depending on how the media spins stuff, you can look like a hero or you can look like the absolute villain despite the facts, right? A lot of misinformation is always pulled. And Mohammed, I'm going to let you kind of introduce the Kyrie uh, conversation. We know that he's pretty much been protesting. He doesn't, uh, well, he has a stance against the vaccine. Uh, he's updated and he's, he's let people know that he's, I guess he's not anti-vax. He doesn't like the mandates that are being put in place across the country where they're requiring people to have to get vaccinated, to go to work. Because uh, obviously, you know, you need funds to feed your family, pay your bills. So he's decided not to, not to get vaccinated, and uh, unfortunately, because of a mandate in New York, he has to he has to be vaccinated to work. So he can't come into any of the Brooklyn Nets training facilities. He can't come to games at home. He can play on the road, but he can't play at, at games at home because, as a resident of New York uh, and an employee of the of the Brooklyn Nets, he has to be vaccinated. So, uh, however, other just to add, just to quickly add, however, other people who are not vaccinated who don't work for New York, like players like Bradley Beal. Yeah, can play at the yeah. uh, can play in Brooklyn, but he exactly. can't. But just yeah. So pretty much uh, the 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 next layer of it is he's kind of affirmed that okay, cool. If that's the case, it is what it is. The issue now is the Nets are saying, well, we don't want you half time, right? I think we all understand it. An NBA season is eighty two games. You can't have someone who's there fifty uh, percent of the time and then off fifty percent of the time. So they pretty much told him like he can stay home. He's still going to get paid for his away games. He's not going to get paid for home, I believe, but he'll get paid for the away games, and but he has to stay home. So he's contemplated potentially retiring and just, just foregoing it completely if nothing changes or shifts. And he views himself as sort of like a freedom fighter for, I don't want to say the anti-vax community, but for people who, who aren't happy about the, the, the mandates requiring them to have to get vaccinated. Uh, I want to kind of just kick off the conversation to you guys. What are your thoughts about kind of his stance and uh how do you feel about that? Because obviously that affects all of us because even in regular employment, they're requiring people to uh, also get vaccinated. Um, the bigger conversation with Kyrie is basically the whole issue of uh, employment termination, basically over your vaccination status. I have a lot of issues with it. I have an issue with the fact that if you personally don't want to take the vaccine, somehow they pull you into this device uh, into this divisive pool where you're anti-vaccine. However, I do believe 
people who are in vulnerable groups um, should take the vaccine to kind of help protect themselves. Uh, but Kyrie is also, he's basically just standing up for like other people who don't really have a voice, right? And people who are basically just getting terminated over the fact that they're not, they don't want to be vaccinated and, and, and they have every right. And Ray, I don't know if you want to chime in, Ray, but I know you were actually dealing with this in real life, yeah. right? So, Yeah, I mean, yesterday was the, yesterday was the last, last day. Um, it was the final hour for me, I guess, at my, my employment. So yeah, I have like, I have obviously strong feelings about this whole, this mandate stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I feel my heart goes out to, to anybody having to make this decision, whether to feed their family or stand up for their rights. Um, or actually it, it's, it's almost not even that um, polar anymore. Like you can't even dipole it like that because it's actually the same issue, right? Feeding my family and protecting myself too, standing up for the rights. It's all one issue. I think you started your job last year. Um, I like, I think right before the beginning of the pandemic. So most of your work, was actually remote. You didn't even have to come in, right? Um, so there was actually no issues um, up until now where they're basically saying, if you're not vaccinated, well, you can't work. And you gave them very yeah. obvious solutions like like I can work from home, which I have been doing. Yeah, so so the context is I, I started late 2019, October um, with, uh... and you know, it's a, it's a great job. Um, I'm a developer, like I, I work on like software. Um, primarily my job was inside these people have been in my family for like uh, like almost two years now, really. And I've, I've gotten really close with, um, you know, my boss and, you know, just all the regular people that are there. Um, and then, um, yeah, so in March, we got we got word that, um, you know, you know, everything was going down. Um, the business thinks that it's it's important for people to stay safe. So we're sending everyone home. My field is, is digital space. So a lot of the people that were working there were able to go home and, you know, still continue work, um, which isn't the case for a lot of um, other people in Canada here. So but yeah, so we functioned it. There's bumps in the road, obviously, but we were trying to get around like working remote. A year goes by now at this point and nothing has changed. Like in, in my situation, like I'm still at home, um, gives me more time with my son, who's who's also like virtual school, um, but I'm not seeing anyone. I haven't seen, um, you know, any of my colleagues or my employees, uh, my, my fellow employees for over a year now. Right. I'm not sure where all these these mandates are coming from or why they're, they're doing it specifically. But, um, you know, it's 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 taking a, a toll on a lot of people, not just me. During the exit ceremony yesterday, they, they kind of uh, outlined, you know, how they were giving notice to the employees starting from, I think it was May or, or um, April or May or something like that, that we may have policy shifts coming in play. Um, and what they started doing was they wanted to get people to slowly come back into work. Our section wrote up a screening program that literally is just a set of questions that um, you get asked before you come in. Hey, have you been out of the country? Do you, are you showing any symptoms? That kind of stuff. And that turned into, okay, not just screening, but um, now we're going to have to do testing, right? Um, and so I even remember my boss saying that he had to hand package himself. He's, he's, he's high up there in the company, but he's hand packaging himself about like, you know, 600 of these, um, test kits. I got like one of these test kits here, um, that are, are really expensive. I think they're like $500 a box or something like that for one of these test kits. Um, and they were sending us, um, these test kits in case we had to come into work. So, um, at that time they were saying, you know, um, we have a, a form on the website. You just gotta, you know. Tell us what your status is. If you don't have the vaccine, well, just, you know, do one of the tests within 72 hours of you coming into work and you're good to go. And then, you know, a little few months go by and, and they started to phase that out. They started saying, hey, well, we're going we're gonna to come in with these, you know, these, uh, the vaccine status. We're, we're, if, you, if you're unvaccinated, you're not going to be able to take the tests anymore. So we urge you to go get vaccinated. And so, like, I think 
mid-September rolls around and the Ontario Public Health has issued guidelines for these employers to, um, you know, have a vaccine policy in place. Um, so, you know, I immediately pop open that email. I go start reading, try and check out what the legalities of these things are. And I notice that, you know, it shows three pieces of criteria. Um, one, that's go roll up your sleeve, get two, two doses. Number two is if you submit a medical exemption. Or number three, if you've done some training. And so immediately I, I throw back, I'm like, hey, uh, you know, where's this training that that uh, um, that we're able to do in order to like meet these these requirements? And, uh, you know, their their department sends me back a, a message saying, hey, this is this is a stance from we are implementing these mandates. Um, the public health guidelines, you know, declare these things, but we ha our vaccine policy is very clear. And, uh, you know, they start throwing policy in and what I've signed out into my face. So at this point, I'm, I'm diving into the Emergency Act. I'm looking into like, you know, the uh, the Ontario Human right, Rights um, Commission to find out um, what exemptions I have. Um, and this goes on for some time. One communication that came out from, from our work was that, oh, um, you know, if you found that there was an issue uh, with these vaccine mandates or something, or you just can't do it, um, you know, send us a, a message to our human resources, uh, our human rights department. Um, so, you know, I, I go ahead and I you know, write a heartfelt kind of message, send it out to them. So in the Ontario Human Rights um, Commission, like the code, um, point number four states that, you know, creed, which in some provinces, they, they classify that as religion. Religion and creed is kind of one thing, but um, Ontario is a little special where they, you know, they have, they bind creed in there and it, it's kind of like undefined as like having a like strongly held belief. Um, so, you know, I write up my human resources, uh, my human rights um, uh, petition there based on that point. And they, they send it back and they say, hey, we denied this. Our interpretation doesn't um, support singularly held beliefs. Right? So I'm like I'm kind of destroyed at this point, like thinking like, well, like it clearly states if you go to the, the website right now, it clearly states what these things are. Um, mm -hmm. But but there's no precedent for these things. Right. I feel like some of these these definitions are left in there just kind of to open up the, the ability to set precedents in court. Um, and they're waiting for situations like this where they can just shut it down. I, yo, just before we continue real quick, like. Just my personal opinion when it comes to like COVID is a very real thing. You know what I mean? But obviously COVID being a real thing versus mandating and forcing people to get vaccinated. That's a whole completely different issue. I feel like the fundamental issue was, especially with Kyrie, he should have had to be in that position. And it is really important to not just care about yourself, care about other people. But my personal opinion is I think you should have a right what, what you decide uh, to put in your body. For people that are like first now just learning about Kyrie and kind of his perspective on things, he's known for this sort of stuff, like not necessarily like these sort of stances, but he's known for taking certain political, certain social stances. So it doesn't surprise me. And like I said, if anyone like follows him on IG, you can look at the, the pages or their accounts that he follows. He's really into like conspiracy theories and the spiritual realm and mm -hmm. uh, like flat third earth and eye. stuff like that. Yeah, mm -hmm. a, lot of, a lot of just like meta, like pseudoscience type stuff. To some degree so it doesn't shock me that he's taking this stance uh, part of me in the beginning thought it was like somewhat of a publicity stunt because i think for the longest the vibe that i've gotten from Kyrie, i could be wrong I, i'd love to hear your opinion is i think he wants to be like a martyr like he said it himself he's had friends tell him that they feel like at some point later in his career that he just might retire he might just say forget basketball i don't know like i don't know where to stand on this uh so far he's he stuck to his gun so i gotta give him credit for that like he hasn't wavered he has missed games so he's he's followed through on his uh his belief and his stance uh, i'm just curious to see where this goes because like like we mentioned in the pre-call it's going to get to a point where these two groups are going to come to a head the vaccinated and unvaccinated and we've already seen what's been going on at the arena people that are in support of him 
And you're going to have a lot of people that take on this cause that don't necessarily support some of the other ideals that Kyrie has, but because they agree with not wanting to be vaccinated, you're going to see a lot of unique groups of people uh, coming out and supporting. You see a lot of Trump supporters who are actually in favor of Kyrie, who's yeah, who's, who's in the past has been a little uh, uh, a little critical of Trump or his administration. So, uh, like I said, it'll be interesting to see where things go. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting you mentioned that because um, a while back he had made like a tweet or some some a post on social media where he was saying like I won't let people like, you know, make their my stance about them or like use my stance like against me or make it about something else. And it was crazy because there was like, with his decision and how it like got publicized for him to like sit out games and, and protest against the mandate, you know, you'd see people like you were saying with like uh, Trump supporters, like Ted Cruz being like, I remember th- this tweet clearly actually, where he was like, oh, wow, look at Kyrie. He's already given up uh, more than Kaepernick ever did. It is going to get to a point where if you work in like healthcare, if you work in, you know, sports and, and things like that, where you just have to deal with a lot of people, if you, if you're like a frontline worker, you know, these mandates are just like a vaccination policy. Like as the year has gone on, like it's, it's inevitable that it's going to impact you on some level, but we're talking like, you know, locally, like what mandates are doing in people's cities and people's country. But like when, once it starts to get international, I don't think people are, can, are able to protest what another country requirements are if they're trying to go over there because they're subject to their rules right so yeah like i think that's going to be the interesting part is when these mandates get more serious it's it's a little less complicated when it's it's more confined to like your local vicinity versus like you said now international travel going to other countries you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's going to change things completely and like i said i personally think with Kyrie, it's going to be interesting because uh, you made a good point. Like a lot of these people that otherwise wouldn't agree with him on a lot of other things or a lot of other uh, political points, they're the same people who now who would who would support him just because he's an anti-vaxxer or he's he's uh, he's against the mandate. Mm-hmm. So I, I find that interesting. That's politics. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like uh, I remember when 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 LeBron uh, he decided like he didn't want to give a word immediately on his vaccination status. Uh, and then it finally he made a statement and his statement was basically like, I did my research. I felt it was safe. It was something that would be good for me and my family. So we got it. I'm, but I'm not going to tell anyone else what to do. Everyone else, it's up to them to do their research and figure out what the best decision is for them. Mm-hmm. And you saw a lot of right-wing people that you normally would have told him to shut up and dribble in support of him, right? You saw Candace Owens reposting it like, hey, I support this man. He's a family man. He should be allowed to do what's best for his family. He shouldn't have to be uh, a medical expert and advise other people. It's up to him. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. it's ironic. If this was a completely different subject, you'd switch. That's why I think this is what this is revealing to me is a lot of people's political views are just layered in a lot of like BS. You know what I mean? That's why we had like previous episodes, we talked about grifters. That's why grifting has become such a, a wave right now where people can make money off these different political causes and shift their mm, viewpoint. And like views. hijacking certain narratives. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So, so that's what's happening with him. And, but like I said, I'm interested to see where he goes with this. Cause like I said, there's still a part of me that feels like he wants to die a martyr. Like he wants to be remembered for more than just basketball. And not only is this going to affect his team, it's going to affect the NBA season. It's going to affect sports because whether we like it or not, whether you, you view, like I personally don't think he's like Muhammad Ali or anything, but whether you view mm-hmm. him in that light or not, the way history is going to look back on it, depending on how things go with the vaccine, he's going to be remembered for this 100%. You know what I mean? 
You got me remember for this 100%. So, uh, say he, I don't know, say Kyrie releases a shoe that has like anti vaccine imagery on it. Mm-hmm. People that are anti Nike, anti sweatshop labels, do you think those people would buy his sneakers? I, they probably would. The same people that don't like Kaepernick, don't like Nike, they probably would if Kyrie created like an anti vaccine sneaker. Simply because he's spouting a message that they can identify with. That's why grifting has become so popular. This is one of the few eras or generations where you'll literally see people within months, within a year's time, completely change their political stances or their social stances on things just based on what's going to benefit them the most. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think if anything, this is proven, it's proven that a lot of us are just full of BS. We're not, we're not as serious about these views as we think we are. And we can easily be swayed on how we judge someone based on how they view certain things. Right. So, Especially if the person spouting them or pushing them is a celebrity of some sort. I think that's key because there's a difference between a politician who, who's paid to, to be in this field and then move like this. Whereas like with the celebrities, like they have fan bases outside of taking political stances mm-hmm. most of the time. So then when they do take one, you're either polarizing one side or, or and, and supporting the other or vice versa. Because of this whole vaccination topic whether to be vaccinated or not in the two sides i think that's going to become a heavy topic around the next election same way that blm was a big topic the last election and the previous one uh trump kind of leaned in on like the poor white demographic middle class demographic and how they were almost like a silent majority and how things were changing with obama and how he needed to kind of bring things back that's why he used the make america great slogan i think this whole vaccine thing is going to become like a big uh, conversation piece over the next four years, and it's going to affect the next uh, uh, federal election. Gotcha. Yeah, I think every 10, 20, 25 years or so, something major happens. Like 9-11 changed travel forever. Before that, people used to pull up to the border and no passports, no nothing. They used to just go through. Now it's body scans everywhere. Thanks. This is like, I don't think you're, we're just going to go back to normal. The worst thing that, that, that could possibly happen uh, in, in every, every country's mind is to go back to the way things were in March and April of last year, when everything was shut down. Everything was a ghost town. Nobody knew anything about this. It was like the scariest thing ever. Nobody knew what was going on, unless you, know, you worked in the sectors where you were a little bit more informed of, of, of what this was. I, I personally believe, and Hassan, you could chime in, Mohammed, you could chime in, or, and uh, Ray, you could chime in. It's just like, the government did a, did a really bad job of securing people from vulnerable groups. And what I mean by that is like people who are of older age or people who have certain health, uh, pre-existing health conditions, right? Because these were the people that were strongly vulnerable, right? They did, they did a really, really terrible job at doing that. Um, and uh, just an interesting t- statistic to, to just shoot out, right, is the survival rate from, I think, the age zero to 19 is 99.99%. The survival rate from ages 20 to age 49 is 99.98%, right? So generally speaking, the vast majority of the population in those age ranges who are not vulnerable um, could have relatively lived their life normally. If you're a person who has a pre-existing health condition, you probably should not be going to a game, should not be going to a stadium. The fact is the point if, that if, I'm there, if there isn't any restrictions in place, people will do whatever they want, whatever they want to do. They're going to Those go, they're who going are to technically go, healthy. They're going to go to whatever like they used to do prior. If well, nothing is put in place that limits these things, they're going to go and do the things that they used to do before. 
So, but why, not why caring they... that this is not applicable anymore. Sorry to interrupt, but wh- why are they doing this to non-essential then? Wouldn't it make more sense to do it to essential? Okay. I'm in the grocery store, right? I'm unvaccinated or I'm vaccinated. I'm in the grocery store. It's an essential business. I have more uh-huh. of an opportunity to, to meet somebody who's, uh, let's say, uh, contagious, right? If I'm, if I'm somebody who's vulnerable, like to Mahat's point, I'm not going to go to a basketball game. Forget it. I'm not going to a rave. I'm not going to the movies. I'm scared. I'm stuck in my house or whatever it may be. I'm just trying uh-huh. to avoid that, that situation altogether. I can't avoid uh-huh. the grocery store. But uh-huh. the, the rules are backwards, though. I obviously understand some people's concerns. If there was like 100% guaranteed assurity that you, you take this, there aren't going to be any side effects. You're not going to have any uh, prolonged issues or anything like that. Uh, I think most people wouldn't have a problem with this. So I get that concern. Um, my only issue, though, is is, is uh, there's a lot of other things that are mandated that we have to take. When you go to school, there's shots that you have to take in order to keep going to classes. If you fly to other countries, there's mandatory shots that people are made to take. Mm-hmm. A lot of the medicine that we take in every day, our phones, literally the phones that we use, the 5G, mm-hmm. the Bluetooth, all that stuff, microwaves. There's so much harmful stuff around us. The food that we're eating, if you guys really want to talk about it, the food that we eat on a day-to-day basis that we consume on a daily basis. Right. So processed, uh, processed my, in every degree. Yeah, yeah. That's my only issue. I just feel like it, it, it's, it's, it, if that's the case, then it's like, are you going to protest every single element of your life? You know what I mean? So that's the one thing that I hate that it's become politicized. Cause I do, I do respect people's uh, uh, freedom to choose. Hey, uh, this isn't something that I want to take. And, but then the tricky part is, like I said, uh, if the government, if these health experts are saying, it's best for people to get vaccinated so that we can uh, limit the possibility of it spreading. And that's kind of what they've locked into. And employment is pushing that as well. Like, let's be honest, where's it going to go from now then? You know what I mean? Like, are we going to start to see a lot more people unemployed? And then what are those people going to do from there? But where, where, where it is going, Mohammed, is they're boxing people in like rats, bro. The second last box was, or maybe even the last box was people's livelihood, their ability to earn money to be able to feed their family. It's, if it's basically, yo, I can't feed my family or feed myself, or I got to get this shot, they're, they're forcing you in, in, into a decision in which basically is not saying you have to get vaccinated, but it's in a way it is you have to get vaccinated. They're, they're, and then the, the last box of like being able to travel, you can't even travel without getting vaccinated. Like, obviously, I understand which, which, there's, there's things we do every single day that are detrimental to our health. But a lot of these things, we, a lot of times we have a choice, right? The food we eat, for example, you said, I, I can choose to eat organics. Oh, However, my, go ahead. When you go to other countries, fam, if you go to certain countries, they have certain localized yeah, mandated, yeah. mm-hmm. that you have to take shots. You know this, bro. If you ever go yeah, back, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I can I can we I correct were, something there we though? School. When we're in school, when we're in school, we had to take what was it like one of the flu or the or the cold shots? Am I am I not wrong? Or else you can you couldn't go to school, right? Can can I can I correct that? Because apparently only yeah, in right. Ontario, I think there's only like two provinces or or whatever that actually have um like legislation for immunization. It's not mandatory across Canada. But I think the mm-hmm. I think the I think the one you're talking about is I think is Hep B. Hep B, but also yo Mahad, you know what I'm talking about. Like I know some African countries that have different stuff. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I know what you're talking about. There's yeah. a um, uh, it starts with an M, I think so. Uh, there's a couple. Malaria. There's a couple different ones, Malaria. different Malaria. countries. Malaria. Yeah. Malaria. yeah, and mm. those shots are directed for people going to a third world country. So how bad do you think those things are? You know what I'm saying? If you guys complain about the COVID shot, how bad do you think those malaria shots they're giving these people in these third world countries are? Like, you know what I'm saying? We got to put it into perspective. I agree. There's people I agree. in this world right now, like, if you guys are really on this, like, mandate thing, 
there's third world countries right now where where they have to do the exact same thing to travel, leave their country. They've been taking these shots for years. Like you said, malaria, all these different things. And there's complications because a lot of times these drug companies funnel like the cheapest products into those places or people get like bootleg versions. So people are getting sick. So that's kind of my argument. I don't, I'm, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm mm-hmm. just saying like, if you're anti this, you got to go all the way for me, in my opinion. Again, my boss is a great guy. Um, he's telling me how we have um, in our possession a $1 uh, kits, like test your saliva or test whatever it is, but uh, uh-huh. can really tell you if you're infectious. Like in minutes, okay. these mandates are useless because they don't tell you anything. In the case where we have cheap and effective tools that we can use or repurpose drugs, which they're censoring and they're not talking about because we're focused on one silver bullet, right? I think that's the huge, huge issue. And then we're going to go and make policies and laws against these things from something that we shouldn't even be talking about. There's no conclusive evidence for, for whether it's good or bad. I'm not trying to say, like I said, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I'm anti-stupid, right? And for us to be making mass decisions right now when the evidence is so unclear is just a stupid decision. They're just boxing people into thinking they have choice. There is actually no choice. Should you have choice of which vaccine you want to get or should you have choice of getting it or not getting it, right? Let's use an example of a place that just, you know, a few months ago had was free of pretty much all restrictions, right? Because what's what's the middle ground, right? Let's use Alberta as an example. What Alberta is going through right now, we could be going through like as we speak. Before in the summer, just up until I believe September 4th or so, or early September, um, they had just about no restrictions. Uh, you didn't have to wear masks indoors. You didn't have to wear masks anyway. I think they reduced all contact tracing. They weren't doing testing. They weren't doing any of this. Maude, you went over there for vacay, right? Could you tell us some some of your experience over there or what it was like? <laughs> yeah, everything was everything was open. Hassan, I know Hassan's going to add leave himself right now. Everything was basically open. The mall, bare people, pretty, pretty much nothing was closed, to be honest with you. I, I felt amazing. I didn't have to wear a mask. It was just like... It was like Wonderland. It was like Wonderland over there. You know, you just felt like there was there was just pretty much no restrictions. You weren't really forced to wear a mask. But of course, people are still wearing masks. Were the and number stuff of like cases? That. Would you say like what, what were the number of cases? I don't know if are they they, those figures no. are out. Like, like, it's it's really bad now. Like it, it's yeah. pretty bad. They're, it's they, tough they comparison announced, though. They they announced like uh, September, I think fifteen was like a state of emergency, and the premier went from just not supporting any mandates or anything like that to being put in a position where he has like essentially no choice to go that direction. Because the intensive care units were filling up and you have, you know, medical staff and people who are writing letters to the, the premier of that province and saying, look, come take a walkthrough through our intensive care unit. Please see with your own eyes how back to how serious this is and put something into effect that can, that can help it. Because the real, honestly, the real of all this is when, when you start to see like things go left is when like the healthcare unit is stretched to the point where like they can't help everyone. They can't reach anyone. And then that's when it becomes like it gets on the onus of people who are in charge. It's like, okay, why wasn't something done prior to this? Like you were like you were warned. You were told that certain things could go left. Why was nothing put in place? Why did we wait until the very last moment? Why did we not care? When people bring up the numbers to me and, oh, the num- they're counting everything as COVID, I don't even tell people to, to look at the numbers anymore. I just tell people to pay attention to intensive care units. If those beds start to fill up and somebody with like an emergency surgery or something like that or very serious health issue, but not COVID, needs to go 
and and get something done like immediately that person can't because the emergency care unit that person's uh province or city or wherever that they're that they're living that capacity. at capacity is full have you seen the capacity for the hospitals during While this time I'm, of the season they always mm -hmm. run 100% capacity right it's not like it's not like this is new right and there there is an artificial metric to that I'll, I'll, like so i'm not against i'm not against the vaccines not 100% just so you know right but there is an artificial metric there Me where neither. they show you yeah, they, they show you capacity and they don't tell you how many beds are actually there. Were there 300 beds last year versus 500 this year? You know, are they five feet spaced apart or are they, they 10 feet spaced apart? Right. So these are all these are all metrics that are missing from from when you when you boil it down to just like, oh, it's this many cases or oh, it's this many this percentage of beds. You're missing a lot of detail. All I know is that when and I, obviously I don't work in these industries, but when you're talking about especially earlier, just I believe in like March when we had our, our, our third wave and a crazier lockdown got put in effect. And, and pretty much they were saying like, we were at our capacity with that, with the ICUs. And not only that, but mm -hmm. they were, they were building a unit um, inside sick kids hospital, a hospital. I know personally that as soon as you reach 18 years old, that's it fam. You go to the regular mm -hmm. hospitals, they give you your diagnosis, no video games, no nothing to take your mind off of your problems. You go deal with that. You sit in the waiting room, like everybody else. They were making a wing for adults, adult patients, who had COVID, who couldn't be put anywhere else. I'm not, and I'm not going to say this as a statement. I'm going to say from what I understand, there are some early medications that I've actually listened to other doctors talk about that has shown to be able to help people in their early stages of COVID. But what happens is, imagine you pulled up to the hospital, let's say you had a certain situation where let's say you had COVID, right? People are being sent home. And then what happens is because they're not, they're just basically getting sent home to stay there for 14 days. And by the time they have to come back to the hospital, their ill their their illness is virtually untreatable at that at that particular point in time, right? So that's my one thing as a person who knows nothing about with this stuff. I'm not a doctor. That's just something I found interesting. We experienced what like a crazy lockdown like earlier in the in the previous winter, uh, just after um, what was it? Um, just after uh, Thanksgiving last year leading all the way up until like maybe post March and then they have the lockdown to keep going. So my issue is everything will get lifted and everything will get reduced, but there won't be any plan. Like they'll like, they'll wait, they'll wait until the very last second that they absolutely have to, because it's, it's political suicide. Like nobody will, nobody will vote for you. If, if you take yeah. people summer away, right. Can I quickly respond that. to that, Ray? Can I, right? can I quickly respond? Right. So you'll, you'll know you won't do that, but then they'll wait until the very last second when people's lives are at risk and, and, and people are dropping all types of crazy stuff is happening. They'll wait until the last second. And then you get, you see the extreme versions of the lockdown because one, nobody wanted to listen Two, I understand people's hesitancy with the vaccine, the way it's being rolled out. People who are told, who were initially told in the, in the beginning of the pandemic, was like, okay, AstraZeneca has come out. Oh, go get it. Um, and in those early, early months, like uh, December, December 2020, uh, January, January 2021, around that time where they were being told to go ahead and do that and that mixing would be fine. And in some countries now, mixing isn't considered an actual uh, vaccine. If you're protesting and you're one of those groups, or, or you feel like uh, your job hasn't dealt with you fairly, depending on if you had like certain health concerns and uh, or certain actual documentation of certain health issues where you're like, oh, I can't do this. Then I understand why you're protesting. But these these Chris guy niggas, bro, uh, I, I can't I can't take those types of people seriously.
Yeah, no, a dude, a dude like what... that. A dude like that comes off as yeah, anti-vaccine, and then on the low, like he's he's showing the border dude like I am vaccinated actually. Just let me through, fam. <laughs> he, gets, he gets paid man money too. I'm telling you, for people who feel they have legitimate uh, issues, I feel like they get lumped into a group of people who take Chris Guy and people like them as their leaders, and it muddies whatever it is that they're standing on or that they're trying to to, to put forth or whatever, because they all get painted with the same brush. I don't like how people speak to people who are hesitant of taking the vaccine for whatever reason it might be. You know, oh, especially the talk on the internet. Oh, you the know, polarization. Like, yeah, if you're not, if you're not getting it. You should, you should get out of our lives. You should leave. Like you should, even the, some of the more extreme ones. You should go die. Just that divisiveness, because all that's going to do is mm-hmm. going to entrench them even further in that mindset. And they're like, oh, I do. This is why I didn't want to be a part of this. You're proving me right, type of thing. I don't want anything to do with you, mm-hmm. right? Even the perception that you're just taking your time out to to figure out whatever you have to do in private before you go do make your decision on whatever you want to do. Um, people look at it a certain way now, especially with the way uh, uh, social media has the vitriol on social media and the way it's framed it. Everyone has bias, man. Uh, there, there's, there's not a single person that can go out in this world and just remove all bias from their decision-making capabilities, right? Um, but, you know, the thing that separates us from animals is that we have the ability uh, to, to, to be humble about these, these decisions, right? And, and check your bias. Check your ego. Um, so I might be wrong about everything that I'm saying, but I'm sitting here with you guys willing to have a conversation about where I'm wrong, right? But a lot of the times when somebody just labels you and throws a, point, a finger and says you're an anti-vaxxer, they've already shut down that conversation. My other thing too is like, we talk about people being, you know, smart people looking out for their safety, but a lot of people don't think for their, for, for their personal safety or the safety of others. Because I think that's what COVID has brought to the forefront, Right not just our own safety, but the safety of others and other vulnerable people. Most vulnerable people, I would say, they generally, smart people, they think for them, they, 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 they think to remove themselves out of certain situations that's going to bring them around, you know, something that's dangerous like this, right? That, that can really affect your health. But mm-hmm. a lot of people, vulnerable or not, are, may, may be vulnerable themselves, or they don't have, uh, or they have a vulnerable person in their life who they regularly see. And they're not thinking for those people. And they go out and do very risky things, going out, interacting with, you know, uh, around a lot of people, people that they don't know, like flaunting pretty much all restrictions just because, you know, they want to stand on this and then they can. And that's the other side of it. A lot of people just don't listen. And, and they just don't care. They just don't listen and they just don't care. This with COVID has highlighted a lot of selfishness. I'm not going to lie to you. That's it's, it, it's shown a lot of selfishness of people who don't care what happens and want to stand on something they don't even necessarily really believe in. They want to be outside just to be outside. Or they want to do this just to do this. They just want to revolt just to revolt. It's crazy, Hassan, that you say that because I was actually one of those people, to be honest. Like, And I'll, I'll be real. Like In my maturity when it came to COVID, the biggest thing I learned was like empathy for other people. You know what I mean? Like I would get cheese because in my building, they'd be like, oh, you got to wear a mask, got to wear a mask. I'm like, yo, Bridget, just don't get on the elevator, fam. Like, what do you, <laughs> what do you mean, right? But it's so important to care about your neighbor and care about the, the person next to you because like it matters to them. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't just, just think for yourself, right? You gotta, you gotta wash your hands. You gotta wear protective gear. And, but the, but the problem is because everything is so divisive and polarizing, it just pushes people to like one side, you know, and my own personal maturation was like learning not to be selfish and then be respectful to other people, you know, wear a mask, do those little things 
you know, but I can definitely see what you mean by like people just not caring and just doing things for the sake of just revolting, just to be like, oh, you guys are telling me what to do? Let me, let me do the opposite. <laughs> yeah, there, there are real people out there like that that people are like responding to. They're, these are not people that, you know, people are just making up. They exist. They're very real. And the whole protesting in front of hospitals. September 1st, I actually went to one of those, uh, those protests, those anti-vax protests or whatever. Um, so, so, you know, I stood with like the, the nurses and the workers or whatever who are doing those protests, um, only to find out I was like maybe myself and another person there were like maybe two out of like 3,000 people that were there actually from So most people asking us questions like, hey, what's it like? What's going on? That kind of stuff. Like, hey, are you on Facebook? Um, and I remember actually one lady like, like asking me about it. Like, who do you, who do you follow? Right. And I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not on social media. Like, uh, you know, I'm in tech. <laughs> I don't like that stuff. Right. And she's like, Oh, I get all my news from Facebook. You should be on Facebook. Right. And that kind of like, that threw me for a loop. Cause you know, like who gets their news from Facebook? Like if that's your so only source people. of news, that's if that's part. your only source of news, there is a problem. Beautiful. That is the perfect transition, ladies and gentlemen, for the next topic. So there was a, a whistleblower. Her name was I forget her name, bro. I said, if you could look it up real quick, she used to work for Facebook in 2019 and she saw huge issues with Facebook. She realized Facebook optimizes for content that gets engagement, essentially uh, a reaction. And what they realized was that content that is hateful, divisive and polarizing, it's way easier to inspire people to anger than their other emotions, right? What Facebook realized was if they change their algorithm to be safer, Ultimately, what's going to happen is people are going to spend less time on the site. They're going to click on less ads um, and ultimately they're going to make less money. So the problem was there was major conflicts of interest with Facebook that happened over and over again in which Facebook had to choose between what's good for the public in terms of their safety and what was good for Facebook. And 10 times out of 10, Facebook was uh, choosing their bottom line versus the safety of the public. And you've seen this, basically the whistleblower, she's talking about how Facebook was partly responsible for inciting the hate that's, that helped fuel the Capitol riots. Obviously, we heard what Facebook, how Facebook was complicit in Myanmar's attack on the minorities who were Muslim, right? Uh, which we'll get into, right? So what are your thoughts on that and, and how these major tech companies, they're so powerful, they can pretty much do what they want and, and how they're directly impacting society dramatically and, and they're going to be able to impact society for generations to come. So if any, any of you guys want to, to chime in, that'd be awesome. So her name is uh, Frances Haugen, a 37-year-old former Facebook product manager uh, who dealt with uh, civic integrity issues at the company. So what, what Mahad brought up is that these algorithms are tuned to selectively show you what you want. And it's an, it's an easy test too. Like you can, you can go on your, your YouTube or whatever and type something into the bar and look at all the, the recommended vids uh, and then go into an incognito browser or somebody else's computer and it's a night and day difference, right? And it's literally the moment you start to get on a topic. So I don't know, topic of dogs or something like that. Well, you know, Caesar, the dog whisperer used to be like one of the top dog uh, people. Um, he probably show up on your feed like nine times out of 10. Um, but then the moment he drops out of favor, well, he's not there anymore, right? And that's, that's the danger is that I could just pay some money, right? And then, you know, get thrown up to the top of the feeds or, or get, get fed to a lot of people. No matter right? what it is, you're trying to get advertised. Yeah. You know, that's a vulnerability. Even, um, so here's an interesting story real quick. Um, the minority group, uh, Mohammed or Hassan or Ray, if you guys can remind me, the, from Myanmar, 
Myanmar is Rohingya. Rohingya. Mm -hmm. So basically what happened, there was a genocide, right? But what fueled this genocide was Facebook was everywhere you looked on Facebook, there was all this propaganda if you lived in these particular countries or regions that was basically dehumanizing these groups of people, saying the worst stuff about them, right? And basically making, look, making them look like they were, they were less than human and they deserved uh, punishment. So people were literally becoming brainwashed and when they were seeing these atrocities happen to their fellow men, fellow women, they were so brainwashed to the point where in their mind, it was all justified. And if you can imagine how dangerous that is, that, and we see this all the, ha all, all the time that happens, right? We'll see, we'll see it in narratives on the media and with these social sites about, let's say, um, a black kid who got shot, right? The, you'll, you'll see the narrative of, oh, this person, you'll see the photo of them with a hoodie. You'll see all this, oh, they did this, or they, they basically deserve, but you'll see a white kid, some stuff happens to a white kid, you'll see his swim team photo. You'll see that, you see how dangerous media is when it comes to spin. And it feels like these technological giants, bro, they have governments in their pockets and it's, it's, it's going to have such dramatic effects on our generation. It is, it, it's truly, truly scary. Yeah, I'm just saying it's already having its effects. Um, just with like even my my niece, I have a like she's around seven or nine now. Uh, but anyway, so she she really loves YouTube. Um, you know, she watches like you know Ryan's World, which is like um, you know he's a he's an he's, he's a kid. He's around like maybe six years old, and he has a bunch of toys that he plays with, and his family, his mother and father, kind of like play around with him, right? Like they do role play. Um, but that kid's mad rich. Oh, bro, millions, millions on millions on millions, bro. That kid's mad rich, but at the same sense, like my, my niece wants to be like a YouTuber now, right? Because she, she thinks, you know, that's, it's, it's a glamorous life. She likes what the kid's doing. So genuinely, I want to be there with her on that, but I know where that leads to, man. Yeah. It's, it's like warped her, like you're saying, like her perception of, of that in a way. Yeah. To me anyways, it like, you know, Disney, Disney was the progenitor of that for her. Um, one of her very first favorite movies was uh, Frozen um oh amazing that was a classic i enjoyed it as an adult <laughs> yeah no they're great movies the classic they're, they're classic. honestly great movies being immersed in that as a child right you're bathing in that that kind of soup right so she she has all these just to be a princess when she grows up she you know she throws away um elsa i guess her name is and and picks up i uh, i don't remember the girl from the the princess and the frog but you know she she's she's a young black girl of my heart so you know she she respects these black characters in their movies now um so now it's it's like now she's getting into the racial stuff Whereas like when I had shows growing up as a kid, it was like, you know, Sesame Street, weren't really caring too much about the racial type stuff, but it was about like, hey, how do you be a human being right at the end of it? Maybe if there's fantasy around in there, there's a message in there that you can carry from it. But um, but it's crazy because Loki, a lot of people said there's a lot of racial stuff in Sesame Street, but people can interpret a, a million stuff a million different ways. Like, yeah, Dishbo like if you, had if you a look funny back, bit about it. He had a funny ass bit about it. Yeah, if you look back at like a lot of, they were saying old um, Looney Tunes and a lot of like old, older uh, cartoons that they would have like on loop back when like we were younger and shit stuff. They would say that there's like a lot of innuendo, even with like, um, what was the the skunk's name? Pepe Le Pew. That dude. Yeah. 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 You look back. You look back on that dude. As it has charges on him. There's yeah, no you, consent with that guy, right? Yeah. You. Yeah. You look back on that dude. <laughs> no, but to be honest, right? it's true though. It's true. I could see that for kids. But like when you're a kid, you're not thinking that way. And then and then kind of the, I want to piggyback off something Ray said earlier. 
the the whole YouTuber thing. I saw a video recently where some guy went into Walmart, and he he's going into like the toy section, whatever, for the kids. They're selling like these like YouTuber like kid sets, like like YouTuber kid sets, like like the camera, everything, the strobe oh, light. Wow. Yeah. They're selling yeah. the lifestyle. That's crazy. Like as a toy, like as a to- like you remember how remember how when we were younger as kids. Your parents might buy you if you're a guy like they might buy you building blocks or like uh, Lego or whatever, or, yeah. or if you had your daughter or whatever, you might get like the, the the kitchen set. You know the ones where you walk in or the little playhouses or whatever. Yeah. Now they're selling kids YouTuber kits. Yeah. Wow. That, 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 it, it just shows you how much of a fixation. How much they're selling rich kids YouTuber have. sets. 100% conditioning. That's that's why to piggyback off what you guys were saying earlier as well. Uh, that's the issue that Facebook is running into because. This platform got so large. Mark Zuckerberg, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make any assessments because I don't know all the legal details. But it wouldn't surprise me if he's selling ads to like certain political parties. He's helping push certain content. Oh, that's a and fact. That's a fact. Well, that's it's a fact. That's, that's, that's proven. After, after 2016 and the Trump election, it's a fact. Yeah, data was mined Wait, off of people. No, what I'm saying uh, is, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, globally and other countries, it wouldn't surprise me because. Because like we said, we always knew the key to the business that was going to be Facebook was always going to be the data. Like at the core of it, it's the data, the information that they're selling, and then also uh, the ability to like push content and ads. So it wouldn't surprise me if if, if on the low, because a lot of this stuff isn't regulated. That's the issue too. Like cyberspace, a lot of this stuff isn't, isn't regulated. Social media. A lot of this stuff is not regulated. Like of recently now, but they got people, that's why tech companies hmm. have governments, bro, like in their pockets. And then the scariest part about it, obviously, a lot of men saw that movie. I think it's called Social Dilemma. The the yeah. algorithm is the scariest part because, bro, it literally is creating an algorithm for you so you can spend as much time possible on this app, bro. Kids don't even go outside. They don't even socialize, bro. And that's not even kids, bro. This impacts adults. You know what I'm saying? Like, legitimately, you don't go outside, you don't do this, you don't, you don't go hit up your friends. You're just on this social, uh, you're in this machine that's literally tailored to keep you in there, bro. It, 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 it's, it's really scary. And not only that- It's the matrix, man. On that point though, it's, it's just crazy that it's been um, so pervasive, right? Yeah, like like um, I think Mahad was saying that in, in this country, Facebook is on your phone, right? The moment you get it. Um, when I go to work, they're using like Facebook services or whatever to do chat. Um, you know, when I look at the news, they're, they're, they're reading tweets or reading Facebook posts or whatever. So it's not even like, um, you know, politically, it's just kind of so pervasive now. It's, it's in every sphere of conversation. And it's, it's not. That's yeah. what happens when you make a successful product. You know what I mean? That's capitalism, right? Like, we, we can't get upset about that. Like, that's human nature. Yeah, I you can get upset them. about that because, no, man, no, they should dude, have, they should have some sort of moral obligation no, to no, protect public. No moral obligation, dude. When they become they're public infrastructure, when they become public infrastructure, that's where the obligation comes. They have no moral obligation to make their their product less addictive. The moral obligation that I'm agreeing with is if they're selling ads through to political campaigns, if they're pushing certain propaganda, that's different, right? I can understand where the legal implications could come into play and then even morally you could challenge that. But to say, oh, they shouldn't they shouldn't have access to all these different opportunities. Bro, they're they're creating a high quality product that has high usership. Yeah, Just but Mamet, they, that could be true it's, and it could be superficial. safe at the same time. So the two things Ray was it's talking not, about hey, it, dude, it's it's, it's, it's superficial, is literally though. outside of YouTube 
is the second largest video aggregator in the world. It's it's you superficial though. That. It's superficial though. That's because they Ray, they ousted all the conversation. No, no. They they ousted all of the competition before any of this happened. And you could you want to call it good business or not? You can call it good business or not. But look at Bill Gates. One man at a time. One man at a time. One man at a time. I don't. No, no, my bad. I don't want to play victim Olympics. It's business, man. They beat the competitors. It is what it is. I'm not going to complain about that. That's life. It happens on a day-to-day basis. There's a mom-and-pop shop right now down the street that you live from, and there's going to be a, 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 some guy with money to spend that's going to open up a, a, a nicer restaurant. He's probably going to put them out of business. That happens. It's, it's our ecosystem. Same thing in the wild. The lions, <laughs> if there's a herd of lions and they're very powerful, they're going to take over that domain and that, and that, and that piece of land. not the same, though. That, that, okay. I can't argue that. We have no control over that. No, we... Complaining about it is not going to change the reality. So I, I... That, that, that's the side. My point is, <laughs> point that I'm saying is, if they're using that heavy influence that they have to manipulate things politically and push propaganda, then obviously they should be sued and he should be litigated. But no, but that's good stuff, business, though. Isn't that what you're saying? Product, pardon me? Isn't, aren't you saying that's good business, though? Right? A political yeah, party is just... Different, that's different. Okay. Well, you guys are saying, oh, they have this, this platform that is, uh, uh, that is so addictive that people love to use. Yeah, because they created a quality social media platform and they... They broke the barrier to entry first. They're the ones that hit it big first. So they're going to reap the rewards of that. They're going to get access where businesses are going to use their messenger platform and them for ads and marketing because they're the largest platform out there. That's business, right? The point I'm arguing is I could, the only thing I understand people getting mad at them is, is if he's using that, now that platform, to manipulate things by selling to political parties under the table, promoting certain things, and then lying about it in front of court, that's completely different. In a way, you're both kind of saying the same thing where you can see from your perspective as like a consumer, you can see more of like, okay, how much of far-reaching consequences for uh, adding this into your life and it being so integrated in your life, like what what could be the consequences that could come out of this? And then I can see from Muhammad's perspective, him saying, um, when has capitalism truthfully and honestly ever been like moralistic? Like its objective yeah. was very clear from the get-go. Capitalism in itself, in its core, was, oh. was, was always clear mm-hmm. under no circumstances have they taken people's safety feelings or any of those things into concern that's capitalism at its core because what you guys are suggesting is almost like communism you guys want, want you guys want the government to control how far reaching this company can grow like that portion of it i don't think we should be able to control but if they're manipulating things they're secretly selling data they're, they're breaking privacy laws then i agree we should try them for that but to stop them from like growing, saying they have too much, too much of a monopoly in social media, I don't know if that's fair. No, that's not what no one's saying. Yeah. They have too mm-hmm. much of a monopoly. I, I'll let Ray go and then, I'll, and then I'll go. I mean, I might say they have they have a monopoly. Um, yeah, that's what he's saying. Yeah, well, I, they, I, they, they have grown I, to the point where they encompass like a lot of different things. And it's clear, like they, they wanted to buy Snapchat. Snapchat turned them down. They bought Instagram, took the best features of Snapchat and outcompeted them. And that's that's what I was trying to explain based off of what you said is that capitalism mm-hmm. has never cared about people's yeah. safety in any aspect. Like I ever just, in history. I don't I don't I want to understand more of your point, uh, Mohammed, where uh, we look at we look at these um, competing uh, entities, I guess, or whatever that go on Facebook and or you know, are competing with Facebook. Uh, but then we, we look at governments as not being competing competing bodies. Like what what stops you from saying that, you know, well, the liberals are, are dominating the G20 right now. So they, you know, they've just outcompeted everyone and their strategy has been far better. Why should we treat them any different then? Right. Like, 
at the end of the day, this is all business. I think this, first of all, we, we kind of we veered away from the censorship topic, which which is the reason why I think, um, you know, Facebook being so pervasive um, and it's, it's nearly infrastructure. It's nearly public infrastructure. We're almost being required to use a lot of these tools or whatever. I think there's some issues there. If they're going to be censoring the, the, this information, um, then we need to clearly know what we're using these tools for, right? It's not for, for free speech. It's not for social um, connection. It's, it's none of that, right? It's, it's, it's a tool to consume promotional material, period. And I agree. And that's why I'm saying if they're breaking privacy laws, if they're selling data information that they shouldn't be, if they're actively pushing propaganda secretly with political parties under the table, then they should definitely be tried for that in a court of law. My issue is when, when, when we get into a place where we try to not restrict how far reaching this company mm -hmm. can grow, because that's not the purpose of capitalism. At that point, you're looking for a socialist communist state, which is the opposite of what America is, right? You're so right. That's yeah. my only argument there. My argument there is like, how much control do you guys want the government to have now, right? Because the government might have ulterior motives. To you guys, it might be like, well, our government is helping us out because Facebook is selling this information, doing God knows what, as an active business, as whether whether it's illegal or not, maybe they're doing some underhanded stuff under the table, they're acting as a business. You don't think the government has some similar intentions? You don't think they want to be able to control this information so they could do the same thing? So my point is, what makes it worse? Like, at least Facebook, you know what you're getting into when you when you start using this platform. If the government gets its hands on it, you don't know where this stuff is going now. You know what I mean? So that's kind of my you're you're absolutely right. Like we shouldn't we shouldn't be interfering. The government shouldn't be interfering in that kind of stuff, right? It should be a choice from consumers. Really, uh, people like to point fingers. I like to point fingers as well, right? I I'm not blaming Facebook for what they've become. No, I blame everyone else who uses Facebook, right? No, and right, no, no facts. You're you're speaking facts. It, it's up to us, the consumers. We're the, that's why I always said I don't like the. I, I, and I didn't want to use it like in a, in, a, in a negative way. But like, I didn't want to turn this into like a tit for tat for like who's worse. It's like mm -hmm. this is this is capitalism. You know what I mean? This is kind of how it works. This is how it operates. I actually disagree with both of you guys. Um, it's actually not up to the consumers, right? So my major was actually psychology, and the the interesting thing with the the human the human brain, bro, it is incredibly easy to manipulate, even if you're consciously aware of it. Right. That's how easily that's how easy it is to manipulate the human brain. I don't know if you guys ever heard of a, a person. We probably heard about this in high school psychology, a guy by the name of Ivan Pavlov. He was a behavioral psychologist and he was famous for pairing an unconditioned stimulus, which was food for like a dog with a conditioned stimulus with um, his bell. Right. What happened was when a dog would see food, it would start to salivate every time it would see food. Right. So what, what Ivan did was he would start pairing a bell with the food. So what he would do is he would ring a bell and then he would show the food. Right. And the dog would salivate. He would ring a bell. Then he would show the food and the dog would uh, salivate. Eventually, after a certain amount of trials, he would just ring the bell and he wouldn't present any food and the dog would still salivate. That's him. He paired an unconditioned stimulus with the food to a con uh, to conditioned stimulus, which was the bell. Right. That same psychological technique is used on us with, with social media, right? Every single time you hear a ping, a notification, right? What happens is that's the conditioned stimulus to the unconditioned stimulus of being rewarded every single time we see something on our, on our feed, like whether it's entertainment, that stuff is firing off, uh, off dopamine and all these uh, other uh, neurotransmitters, right? The reason why it's not up to the consumers 
is because fam, I can be fully aware of this as a psychology major, but I have no defense against it. I will still easily become addicted to it, right? And not only that, why it's not up to consumers is there's little kids consuming this. It's that easy to get access to, right? So it's not up to the consumers. These guys have a direct, let me land, let me land. These guys have a direct uh, responsibility because it has a public infrastructure to make sure that it is safe for the public. I get what you're saying, but we can't, like, we don't have laws right now to, like, we have marketing laws, right? There's certain ways you can market and promote products, but we don't have any laws in place at the moment that, like, say, because of these psychological factors. We don't have laws, but it's our time. It's our our attention. Why Why the whistleblower is so important. She puts so much attention on this topic and what these guys do, how they, how they, they pick their bottom line over, over actually the safety of the public. Big tobacco was like even before big tech to do this type of stuff. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But, yeah. But the point that I'm saying is they have a responsibility. They have a direct no, responsibility. So this is, they don't have a responsibility. Cause what I'm saying to you is what do you, what responsibility do what? Not to break privacy laws. I agree, but because it's a public infrastructure, the, bro, that, that's well, what how responsibility it, 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 do the parents have though. No, we, we agreed on, we, we agreed. Responsibility, parents saying, have another more responsibility, but the point that I'm saying to you, Ray, is that, yo, again, you can be fully aware of these um, addictive stuff that that this app they can remove all that addictive stuff. Eh? Like certain app. things that they try to make it addictive. Their goal is to keep you there long, as long as possible. The same way, yeah. But then if that's a problem. McDonald's, that, their goal is to sell McDonald's. But that's but that's the whole point that this lady talks about. She's literally talking about, bro. If they change their algorithm to be safer, this is the conflict of interest that that is the whole theme of this topic. She's saying if they change the algorithm to be safer. The, the part is people will spend less time on the site. They'll get a lot less clicks on their ads and they'll make less money. So the consistent conflict of interest that these companies have is between what's good for the public and what's good for their overall bottom line. Right. And what, and, does, and and what does capitalism the, what does promote? What does capitalism promote? The bottom line. But that's what I'm saying. There's got to be some form of unhappy no media. What you're asking, dude, is a moral law. There's no moral law that says make your product less addictive. Yeah, that's there's a, no more that's law a that law. does it. Yeah, that's a people law. Don't realize. Let me explain. Let me explain. This is the difference with the tobacco law. People don't realize. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't ban tobacco. It didn't. All it said was just let people know that there's health conflicts. They can still sell it, but it didn't. It didn't. It didn't stop them from from being able to like push it and, ha- and have it and have it sold. You know what I mean? Because they're already they're already addicted. That that's the <laughs> they're no, already addicted. But that's, my, but that's my key point. That's the concern. The concern is the it's is that it's it's addictive and it's bad for your health. That wasn't the issue. The issue was they're just like just let people know. That's my point. My point is people could still buy and purchase it. So what you're asking for is there's no moral law that, that has to force these companies not to sell products that could be bad to the you, public as long as they're letting like for example like okay, no. maybe we put in a there's law a fundamental difference. There's a fundamental product, difference. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. The only thing you could really do, fam, is like maybe put in a law where Facebook has to do a disclaimer when you log on that, hey, this app might be addictive. Uh, be careful if you're on it too long. Okay, you think people, that's it? We can't force them no. to make. But it. don't you really have an issue with mass mass production? Then really, really, isn't that your 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 deep seated issue here with this? Is that like when when we start producing that's these things in mass out. and pumping it out into like these young kids or everyone all in mass? Isn't that the problem? Like globalization to me, honestly, is a huge problem that is like really not being discussed. 
realistically localization is the is the only way to kind of like kick back at some of these things right you localize you you focus um the attention on the community and the families that are in that community and then they become more resilient against things like facebook they start talking amongst themselves at the school meetings and stuff like that saying how we don't want facebook in the school get it out right it's not government right i think that's what muhammad's saying is that um you know having the government step in and do these things that people should be doing is wrong because it's only going to get, it's a circle. It's a cycle. You're asking for like the government now to become the moral judge on products when it's like, it's a capitalist society. Like it's free market. You know what I mean? As long as it's not. That's what it was built on. That's what it was built on. Unless you want to, unless you want. What you're saying, what you're saying is like things on the, on the periphery, like, oh, it might be like, that's just, those are side effects of it being like a really good product. It's doing what it's designed to do. No, 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 unless, no, no, no. Unless, you're ahead, aiming, ahead, unless you're aiming to change the system as it is right now, which is a capitalist uh, society, or that's the way I'm it's geared up. towards, unless that's what you're aiming for, then no capitalist geared society will ever listen to the concerns of the, of the people when they can just sell product and grow their shares, their audience, their whatever, whatever it is that they're targeting. We want to thank you guys so much for tuning in this week to Working Vacation Podcast. I go by the name of Marvin Light. I go by Hassan Shazam. My name is Mo. And we got Ray the Dream. Every single one of you guys that likes, subscribes, listens to our podcast every single week, we sincerely appreciate you guys. If you guys are enjoying the content that we create, please subscribe now. We got a lot more amazing content on the way. Peace.